Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and we're not talking about football today. Uh, we will be doing our Ohio State preview podcast later this week. Uh, instead, we're talking about Penn State basketball. Uh, I don't know if you've heard lately, uh, probably not, because why does any, would anyone pay attention to Penn State basketball? But uh, Penn State basketball coach Patrick Chambers resigned uh exactly one week ago, uh, submitted it to Sandy Barbour right on the, uh, on the heels of an investigation into a piece written by the undefeated about a remark that Chambers made to now former Penn State guard Rashir Bolton. Uh, we are just going to talk about it. We're going to talk about why Pat left, uh, the end of his era, how we'll remember that era, and just kind of everything that we can talk about about Penn State basketball because so much has happened in the last week. And in order to do that, we got uh, a very full crew here uh, tonight. I'm joined by Chad Markulich. Chad, how you doing? Happy to be here. No, you're not. Uh, Eric no, Gibson. Not. Eric, uh, Eric, how you doing? Doing great. Dan Smith, how are things? Penn State basketball is in the news. And Sam Cooper of Yahoo Sports is joining us. Coop, what's going on? I'm climbing, baby. Uh, we're we're all climbing to one extent or another. And what is more Penn State basketball than for the climb to end in a way that just has everything come crashing down? Uh, like we mentioned, Pat resigned. Uh, it seemed like one of those resigned before you can get fired situations exactly one week ago. Uh, and the weird thing is, and you know... Uh, I'll have Eric start here, but kind of just lead it into this, into a big open conversation. Just the timing and the reasons why he got fired, keeping it, uh, keeping it in as an internal investigation, in which no details were announced, uh, no outcomes were announced, no results, no findings, nothing like that were announced. Eric, to me, it's just very, very weird how it all went down. What about you? Oh, it's, it's definitely weird, and um, it's pretty confusing, um, insulting, and nonsensical, and it, it seems just petty. I don't really know kind of – I mean, we're just going to be left to speculate here for the next hour on, like, what truly transpired. Um, I mean, if you want to put the timeline together um, over the summer – Ever since the Roger Bolton story came out um, through the undefeated, I think it was like early July, um, he had those allegations of, and Chambers confirmed like the news comment um, saying he wanted to loosen the noose around Bolton's neck, which Bolton took offense to, obviously. And that apparently became a big thing within the program um, at the time. But Bolton decided to go public in July after he saw, I believe Bolton cited Chambers actually doing I forget what the coach's organization's called, but he did a roundtable, like virtual roundtable. This is like early June during the George Floyd um, protests and everything. And Chambers was on a panel with a bunch of college basketball coaches talking about race in the sport and race relations, um, which in hindsight is a pretty bold move to do considering um, how one of your prominent players had left the program a year prior. Uh, from Chambers' perspective, it's kind of like obviously there was a falling out there between Bolton and his camp and Chambers. I mean, it was, that was always weird when he he announced his transfer a year ago. Um, we didn't really know what the story was with that, but we also suspected it was not good. Um, there was clearly something, some kind of conflict. And uh, now that we know what it is, um, he went public with it after seeing Chambers talk about race, which... You know, that was Bolton's choice. I think I was completely within his right. Um, and that's what happened. And obviously that's a public relations kind of nightmare for Penn State, even though um, it's basketball, you know, still that kind of press in the news, coach with racist comments. Um, it's not a good look. So it's kind of weird because there was no real fallout from that story in early July. Um I think David Jones did uh, some digging and had a an article with Josh Reeves that also, you know, confirmed um, and corroborated Bolton's story. And what was interesting from that was Reeves apparently has had a falling out with Chambers and the coaching staff to the point that he kind of graduated and kind of cut the program off 
um, which was kind of surprising and something that wasn't ever in the news. Um, but the way this whole news comment transpired within that program, um, it, it kind of somehow created a rift between Bolton and Reeves and, and the rest of the program. Um, so trying to keep all this context together as I ramble. No, no, that's um, fine. I mean, we, the, what we're basically doing is talking about, uh, I mean, when did that comment happen? We're trying to piece it together. Right, because it's just such a vague situation. Uh, and, you know, Chad, Dan, Coop, if any of you want to chime in here, by all means. Like, the thing, that's just the thing that I can't get over with this. Like, it seems like such an open and shut case. Uh, and, and this is not to justify anything that Pat Chambers did. Like, uh, if Penn State looked into it and determined that Pat Chambers, th- this was an incident that he needed to be reprimanded for, totally makes sense. The issue is, like, they've kept it oddly vague about whether or not this is the thing that they got rid of him and, for. No, yeah. in fact, they speci- she specifically said this was not why they got rid of him, that it was the that there was some sort of allegation that was that was unrelated to the Bolton situation and the undefeated article. And I think that's the most salient point in all of this is the simple fact that they did not force him out because of anything related to Bolton. And it's important for two reasons. One is that they're scare quote investigation didn't uncover anything further when it comes to you know language or actions uh, or anything you know like what happened with Bolton and two it's to be clear that Penn State did not and doesn't still think that they should have fired Chambers for that because if they did they would have done that at the time or even if they were late to the game they would have done it and said so there's plenty of circumstantial evidence now that can lead you to the, to that conclusion, uh, you know, and it's obviously something that, you know, we, you know, those of us here, you know, on this, uh, you know, this discussion here know, you know, is kind of confirmed by some of the, you know, uh, behind the scenes uh, things that we, you know, are have been, you know, sort of second, third hand been able to to hear, you know, but the, I think the point being Chambers isn't you know, gone because he was, you know, too racist to coach at Penn State or was mistreating players or something like that. If he was mistreating players and that was what this allegation that Barbara was talking about, you know, why would they have let him tell the team in person that he was resigning? Why would Barber have at that press conference specifically mentioned how well past and present players get along with Chambers? You know, and the, the, the reason is because that's not why he was let go. And but they're content to be vague about it. And this is, I think, a real problem that we have right now with the Penn State administration, the athletic department, is that you know the media is going to be content to run with this narrative of racism in the absence of anything else. It's the only thing that they have to connect those dots. And frankly, I can't fault them for it because that's what uh, you know. I think the lack of specifics from Sandy Barber are designed to do. I think the you know they wanted the you know other people to sort of speculate, and you know if you know we're fine with this being the conclusion that they went to. Uh, you know, but we know this, you know, I think a lot of people that follow basketball know this. The coaching circles are tight knit. You know, people are going to hear about the actual story, even if that doesn't get to the press as necessarily or if it takes a long time. The people that are in the know are going to know what happened and are going to hear or are going to hear, you know, pretty, pretty well, you know, uh, you know, verified rumors about it. And, you know, we're going to probably touch on this a little bit later, but that's going to really hurt any coaching search that you want to have when you have candidates know that there's this dysfunction, there's this willingness to, uh, you know, throw people under the bus. There's this, you know, if you can have somebody be let go for, you know, sort of flimsy personal reasons and be, and not only that, but be content to leave them out to dry and paint them potentially even as a racist, who's going to take that job? You know, you're already a job that's fighting an uphill battle. You're already a job that, you know, we, we know, and you can strongly suspect is not going to pay very much. Now you, now you've added this part of it in here. You have a, at the very least an administration that's making it clear that they don't care about this program. It's a slap in the face to the players, to the staff, to the fans, uh, you know, and uh, you know, leaving aside Chambers himself, this isn't really even about Chambers necessarily at this point. You know, it's about the program going forward. And, you know, they've sort of got this built in excuse now with the time and you go cheap on the next coach anyway and let the program waste away in the corner. They were probably going to do that anyway. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, something where the way that they've handled this has made it 
10 times harder to try to get any sort of decent coach that could come in and, and replace Chambers. Word's going to be out, you know, if it's not already out. And it's that, that word, you know, I think we can pretty strongly suspect is going to reflect very poorly on Barber and the athletic department and this program as a whole. And, you know, I, I think that that's the, the real takeaway here is that this is, uh, you know, regardless of your feelings on the Chambers era, the nine years that he was here, this is uh, not the way to try to you know, get into the next era. And I think they're going to be in a really uh, in a poor position here going forward. Yeah, I, I it's mean, really confounding to me. Chad, if you uh, by all means, I just want to give uh, the two quotes that Sandy gave after yeah, uh, at a press conference. One uh, was that. Uh, the allegation for which they got, you, you know, allegation, allegations, whatever it might have been, uh, were, quote, previously unknown to Penn State, independent of and related to the undefeated article. And then uh, a little bit later, uh, she was asked whether or not recruiting played a role in this. And she said, quote, NCAA matters. Uh, we're not part of this. So, yeah, Chad, uh, apologies, but uh, by all means, go ahead. No, it's OK. What's really confounding to me in those statements and um I guess in general with the timing of all of this, there's no party that's come forward and stated what really given their side of the story. We don't know anything. We don't know. Pat was, Pat's statement was really vague um, and just kind of celebrated his time there. And obviously he said that he wanted to spend time with his family and prepare for the next 20 years, I believe was, was the statement he gave. Um, didn't really try to, defend anything other than yeah i mean i i think you're right is would you put that statement out if you thought there was going to be a shooter drop that would be something right. racist or right. something? and there's so there's nothing from him there's nothing from the athletic department besides an incident or separate allegations that are not NCAA related and then so we're we really might never find out if there is anything um unless you know somebody in the national media i'm assuming would have to do this to dig in deep enough to find out exactly what happened. Cause it, I mean, I haven't heard anything from the players either really defending him or anything like that on online or uh, obviously I don't know. I don't think any of them talked in person either so far. Um, it's really confounding to me that we don't know anything about the exact circumstances as to why he was let go or resigned, either whatever you want to call it. And then second, the timing of this is just so ridiculous to me. Uh, you know, a month before a pandemic shortened season is about to tip off. And, you know, we thought the at the cellist timing was was bad. This is astronomically worse timing um, to not have a, a leader in this, you know, a time like this when everything nobody knows what they're doing. There's no um, continuity in college basketball right now. There's no certainties, really. And to have even less uncertainty going into a season like this is just a mind boggling decision to you know, why now? Why not two months ago? Why not uh, right after the Bolton thing? Why did the investigation purportedly not happen then? Uh, it's just so many confusing layers to this whole situation, even before we get into what's going to happen next. So um, that's really all I wanted to say. I just I'm just still extremely confused by this. To uh, me, I think the Bolton thing was kind of an in to open some sort of investigation that I don't know. Maybe they wanted. But they knew to... about the Bolton thing. No, that's what I'm saying. Like it becoming, yeah. like this is that's why. Like I'm going back to what you're saying. Why it's so weird. The Bolton thing happened. That's I forget the exact. Like it was in. It was January of 2019. Yeah, one of the big early Big Ten games of the 2018-2019 season. I believe it was. I think it was after the Michigan game where Chambers put his hands on Miles Dredd. So you would think, like, if this athletic department was, you know, I don't want to be the conspiracy guy here, but, like, if they had, I mean, if there were people that were, you know, quote-unquote out to get chambers, whatever, however people want to phrase it, maybe, like, it doesn't, like, none of the timing makes any sense. So if you, like, go through it, and then you go to what Josh Reeves told Dave Jones after the Bolin article came out, he goes... Yeah, like we were told like the athletic department was going to look into it and then nothing happened. And then, I mean, they were terrible that season. They had the, the end of the year where they won whatever it was, like seven of ten Big Ten games or something. But if they wanted to get rid of him then for what he did, for the Bolton thing, for the Dread thing, for losing, quite frankly, they could have done it after that season. But then they come back the next year and then all these things happen. The Bolton thing pops up. It's a PR nightmare. 
because no one thinks about Penn State basketball in national perspective whatsoever. So they have this great season, and then that thing comes out. And then you got to kind of go, I think maybe it, it bubbles up some of the, the inner kind of turmoil surrounding how kind of Chambers maybe does his, does runs his program. You go, maybe this is our way. This is me uh, speculating, being hypothetical, but I'm kind of trying to piece all this together. Maybe the Bolton thing, because after that happened, they go, oh, we're going to do sensitivity training. We're going to do an investigation. And then whatever else pops up, we don't know what that is. We don't know how what that's going to be. If you read the most recent Dave Jones article, it's kind of seemed like the way he framed it, maybe it was an accumulation of how Chambers kind of treated people over the years, which is, I mean, in major college basketball, that's pretty flimsy. But in the context of where Penn State basketball fits into the Penn, the prestigious Penn, I'm using air quotes here, the prestigious Penn State athletic department, you know, they don't want to have any of that kind of nonsense. So it kind of like, there's all these little things that sort of add up together, but then like what Chad said, you come back to the timing and it's just a lot of it's very kind of murky and mysterious and it's very strange. Yeah. I, that's, that's the weird thing. Like, it's not like, it's not like they were lacking for reasons to fire Pat. Right. Uh, It's, it's the, it was nine years and like, they were very bad. They extended him twice after two not great years. Yeah, I mean the the only thing I can think of with that is that doing the the timing now the one advantage for them is that it gives them a built-in excuse for why the next coaches they're going to cheap out on because it's in the middle of the pandemic and they you know their the budget's tight and they have all these other things going on. That's the only thing I can think of, but even then it's like you know kind of like the, people were expecting you to cheap out on the next coach anyway. So it's you know what's the you know what's the end game here? I really it's, it, it's very yeah. bizarre. They've never there's never been any resources devoted Penn State basketball and there still really weren't on a comparative scale of the rest of the Big Ten. But Chambers had to fight for so many things. Like he had to fight for like branding at the BJC. So people like if you walked into the BJC when Ed DeCellis was the coach and there wasn't a game and you just like came from another country, you would have no idea that the Penn State basketball team played there because there was nothing there that said this is a basketball arena. Like just little things like that, like a weight room, a film room, all of these things. He kind of gradually, you know, he has that salesman background. He kind of, you know, he had to fight for these things. And I don't know if that's part of it because over time. Yeah, like, you're talking about an accumulation. Like, you know, the things on that list include like a $60 frame photo of Ross Travis getting a rebound. <laughs> <laughs> You got a lot of rebounds, man. Don't don't hate on Ross Travis. Oh, I'm not hating on him. I, I, apparently, Sandy Barber thought that was just a little too much. You know, you're spending beyond your means. <laughs> Eric, I want to I want to bring you back in here to talk about the timing. Just like get your thoughts on it, because again, like that for everything that happened in here, that's the one thing that I just cannot wrap my head around is the fact that they. They, it seemed like they almost made it a point to shoot themselves in the foot by waiting to do this until right now. Yeah, precisely. It's completely self-inflicted, and it's just, it just reeks of how little they care about the basketball program, like, straight up. If you cared about players being mistreated, um, you know, how, like, Coop was talking about this, how do you not, like, remove the head coach after 2019 um, when they were, however they started, they started out like 0-10 or whatever it was in the Big Ten. Everything was kind of like falling apart. Um, and then you had all this internal drama and you hear this, the allegations from Bolton. And, you know, he, he talked in his article uh, how he reported that and Penn State kind of really didn't do nothing. Um, so that really wasn't the issue. But it's, it's just, it's disheartening for me too also because I, the real reason why I was always kind of so patient with Chambers and supportive is not only that he was bringing Philly kids to campus, but the Philly kids were for managing campus life. Um, you know, I don't want to generalize too much either because every kid's different. But um, bringing, you know, inner city kids to Penn State is a huge culture shock. So, you know, you think about campus life, you think about all the di- different types of people the coach has to deal with outside of the basketball program. You know, the compliance offices, the other athletic department of, uh, employees, marketing like the P.J. Mullins academic advisors there's just a whole campus worth of people you got to interact with um and there's no doubt that like some of the philly kids 
Uh, definitely towed the line a lot as far as discipline issues and how much they could get away with. Um, you know, I'm not going to speculate too much on those those rumors of, of those players, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but for whatever reason, I thought Chambers was kind of the guy that was able to blend, you know, kind of Penn State's model for so long and how, you know, the high academic standards and you're going to go to class and all this and you're going to graduate, blah, 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 blah. You know, molding that philosophy to a modern basketball program and still being able to recruit these kids who who are clearly basketball first players. Like every top 100 kid coming out of high school is like looking to go to some big name academy like IMG or whatever, because they're they're athletes. They're they're focused on basketball. It goes back to the whole, you know, education is just a side piece. So I don't know. I feel like that's kind of part of it. I don't know who on campus had issues with Chambers or maybe, you know, maybe it was when somebody was academically ineligible. What do they, you know, how much pressure do they put on people to get them back to eligible? I don't know if it's academic people. I don't know if it's compliance people. Um, but clearly Chambers had enemies. That's kind of what David Jones' article was alluding to. And I don't know how much of it was Sandy Barber, how much of it she was in the middle of it, what, you know, what her decision-making process was. And same with President Barron, what his input in on it was. But basically, long story short, is they don't care because Penn State basketball wasn't winning. Football can get away with that because it's Penn State football. Whatever they do, they toe the line. But I feel like Chambers must have just towed the line too much and then thrown the fact that the Bolton – story went public and it was just too much bad PR and that Lamar Stevens wasn't here anymore. They kind of just probably had their best year ever last year. Like, you know, I don't think any of us were expecting them to be as good this year as last year. Maybe they thought like this was the time to get rid of them. They could get rid of them and punt this season away because it's COVID. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the timing is, (laughs) the timing is also, you know, the, the timing is the, they said that report got delivered and I guess that, you know, the report, is the thing it got that delivered you know, spurred two weeks them ago. to action. It got delivered, you know, within, they said within two weeks or whatever. And it's when they decided I guess, to force them out. Yeah. It was a, and right I guess the report, football so they can bury it. The report gave them permission to do what they wanted, basically. You know, it, it, it seems clear that they wanted to move on from him for whatever reason. We are speculating. We don't know for yeah. sure. But the report gave them what they needed to, you know, because the reason he's resigning is because, you know, they were going to fire him with cause because you wouldn't resign if they were just going to fire you and you could still get paid. So, you know, it obviously gave him permission to to do what they wanted to do and force him out. But, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's it, it, like you said, they, they don't care. And that's the that's the main takeaway. It felt like the report had a predetermined outcome almost. Well, not almost. I mean, it, that's that's my read they on it. They made up their mind. And they're yeah, looking the, for the report was the, the report took to three months to put together. You know, it's you know they and they interviewed a bunch of people and you know, the only thing that she said about it in the press conference was a lot of former and current players like him. So okay, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> but but two former assistant coaches think he's an asshole. So. I don't know, man. <laughs> Get him out of here. D- David Jones' legendary interview skills strike again. And, and I mean strike literally as as much, much like Bill O'Brien's fist striking the inside of his windshield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like we're uh, – we, we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything uh, that any, any of you would like to mention on all the reasons why – that we all the stuff that we've gotten into. Anything else that you would like to add uh, before we start talking uh, slightly more positively, and we look back on our just like stuff we'll remember from the Pat era before we get into uh, the very bleak stuff, which is what's going to come after the Pat era. Um. Well. I, I mean, sort of uh, something that bridges both of those things is that uh, that's, this is uh, not going to be good for uh, the current uh, recruiting classes of commits. And since we've already lost one, I would guess we're probably going to lose all of them. Yeah, they're they're all going to. Yeah, if I don't, I'm not reporting that, but I'm <laughs> sort of assuming that, and also kind of know that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if they stay you gotta like question there's no like, there's we need no a coop scoop on. yeah if they stay they they were probably mistakes in the first place right <laughs> like you can't sit committed when you don't know who your coach is going to be for what how long is the season going to be four or five months and then behind the scenes there's going to be a whole coaching search and then 
you're just sitting there and like they might hire a coach and the coach might be like, oh, you, you aren't good. Like Some, you could be somebody was like, uh, like Peter in our mentions the other day. What? I said somebody was in our mentions the other day and was like, you're supposed to commit to a program and not a coach. And I'm like, Penn <laughs> State basketball? Are, you, are we talking about the same program? It's like, we don't want them to commit to a program. Otherwise, they'll never come here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, it, it, it's, well, I guess that's it. No, no, no. The thing, the thing is, you're right, <laughs> which is which is just very a, a very tough pill to swallow. But before we get into uh, the recruiting stuff and the more upsetting stuff, let's look back on the Pat era. I want to do a roundtable. Uh, what was your favorite moment? Just throwing this out to anyone, whoever wants to take it first, by all means. What was your favorite moment from the? Uh, from the time that Pat Chambers was the head coach of Penn State basketball. You got to like tee us up, Bill. There's too many of us. All right, Coop, go ahead. Uh, when Devin Foster airballed a free throw at Celestro. <laughs> <laughs> either me, I forget if I was sitting next to Chad or Eric, and I just looked at him. I was like, did he just airball a free throw? And you said, yeah. And then we just kept watching the game. It was against like Drexel or some shit. Uh, I would honestly, on a, to seriously answer that, honestly, probably either the win over Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament, just how crazy that game was, or like this most recent season, just that little run they had. I don't remember how many games in a row they won, but I remember when they were playing at Michigan State, that game, and I was, I don't know who I was talking to. It might have been one of you guys, but I was just like, yeah, they won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They won eight Big Ten games in a row. They won at Breslin. And I just remember that one kind of like sequence of events where Wheeler got the steal, kicks it up to Brockington, throws it ahead to MJ, who has like, he just hits a contested three in some guy's face. And it was like a 10 0 run out of nowhere. And I thought, I felt like I was hallucinating. That's like the most recent season was just so surreal. And then in Penn State basketball fashion, a worldwide <laughs> pandemic hits and the NCAA tournament doesn't get played. And then the coach resigns in semi-shame about six months later with never coaching another kid. Without explanation. Yeah, without know why explanation. He, yeah, he's resigning for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, there were, there, there were a like, lot of – Just because. Like, that's outrageous. It's also exactly what you'd expect. Like, oh, it goes beyond like how absurd like just just things happen with this program like I know we like it's a joke but it's also not a joke the two things with this program over the years like on Twitter or whatever is a flaming bus or we just say it's cursed and they're both very fitting especially when we're having this discussion the last uh, time we made the tournament uh, the coach left was there an earthquake that summer I want to say too <laughs> 2011, yeah. Yeah. It was at the end of August, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. And then uh, this year, we get break the top 10. We're going to make the tournament. Uh, Best season ever. Out. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> if we get too good, bad shit happens. So yeah. maybe it's best yeah. for the universe's sake that we just be shitty forever. Uh, Chad, uh, you... Well, we're moving in the right direction there. This country's going to turn things around now. They're trending uh, towards the norm. Uh, Chad, if you would like to take that question, uh, I don't know how you're going to follow up shouting out the great earthquake of 2011. That happened because Ed DeCellis <laughs> left for Navy, but by all means. Uh, I remember fondly um, from the early days uh, a game against Indiana and the game before Billy Oliver... Um, hit like six threes against Purdue Seven. and Tom Crean called Billy Oliver uh, Dirk Nowitzki. That was a really fun one. Do you remember um, Tom Cugliata? Yeah, Tom, Tom Cugliata and Dirk Nowitzki too, both of them. Yeah. Wow, he was ahead of John Rothstein's time. Yeah. Yes, he was. Um, that was the first year. That was the first year, yeah. I was, that was I also was the same day. season, I believe, where Nick Colella uh, dove through a monitor jumping over the uh, the, the scorer's <laughs> table at the BJC. Yep, Colella down. That was a good, yeah. good year. Was, shout out my brother. <laughs> your brother. Uh, that was your um, brother. Yeah. Yeah, my brother ran the Colella down. Okay. My brother didn't follow <laughs> hockey, but he had, he had seen me talk about uh, Hartnell down, which was a Flyers thing at the time, and so he just started that Twitter account. 
Huh. I didn't know this, that. This, this is tangentially related um, regarding like anonymous Twitter accounts, but um, if there was like a, a cue for Penn State basketball, I would totally become a, a cue truther for, <laughs> for Penn State. I mean, this, is, this basically is... <laughs> yeah, we're cue. Like, what are you talking about? It's going to start about? in the, in the uh, forum that it's we have to start on our alarm. Lot of shit about like big conspiracy to take that down and there's some kind of... I won't, I won't go as far as actual cue. Yeah, great. I mean, we could we have the Penn State hoops people over there now. We can bring them on board. You know, Q, yeah. Q on, Sandy Barber took down their board, and we need like a P. Pat Chambers. <laughs> yeah, if there's a P out there who wants to spill all the dirt, please come to our forum and check it out. Oh God, um, no, if it, no, for us it would be an H. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Eric, I will I will hand this over to you. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. This the best is... the best moment. Um, for me, it's kind of like what Coop said. I, I would say the John Harris slide at Mackey Arena when they were up by like 15 points at the end of the game. That was just completely unnecessary trying to get an attitude point. That was fun. Um, or the Ohio State game definitely was probably the best. Uh, the one in the tournament with the Josh Reeves dunk was definitely, unfortunately, yeah, that, the pinnacle. That might be, the, yeah. That yeah, that was time. kind of the pinnacle because they that team wasn't able to go to the NCAA tournament, so the NIT it's championship was whatever. Was buzzer beater at um, Ohio State. Yeah, that was cool too. Yeah, yeah DJ far, buzzer beater up in Minnesota. That's, that's, that's that was my good favorite. One. Yep. No, my, yeah. I, I mean, my favorite DJ moment uh, is retroactive. Like in hindsight, it's the time that he uh, smacked Kendrick Nunn upside the head. But yeah, I mean, there's. I was going to say just that entire run. Uh, in the NIT where uh, they had that repulsive game against town. Like I was at that game and that might've been the least fun that I've ever had watching a basketball game. Uh, but they end up winning that. They then go to Notre Dame. They beat a Notre Dame team that didn't have Bonzi Colson. They go to Marquette and just get into this like all, all out shootout against uh, Andrew Rousey and Marcus Howard. They win that. And then they just beat the brakes off of Mississippi state and Utah at Madison square garden. And like, it, it just didn't seem it, in very Penn State basketball fashion, that team felt like it when it was playing at its best, it was the second weekend team in the NCAA tournament, and it was in the NIT. It uh, filled its destiny, though. It finished 69th in the country. Hell yeah. Which is <laughs> really all I can ask for. Uh, no, that team, though, like, for real legit, was like pound for pound the best Penn State basketball team I've ever seen. And granted, it didn't blossom until the end of the season. They weren't able to make the tournament, but that was definitely I like I'm in my lifetime anyway, my short lifetime of all of the last twenty years or whatever. But that was definitely the best Penn State basketball team that well, 2018 team. Is that the year they probably would have beaten this year's team, this past year's team? Was yeah. that the year Reeves was back. ineligible? Yeah, that was the year where Correct. Reeves was ineligible, and like that's why we missed the tournament. Uh, and like a grad assist or an assistant, not a grad assistant, an assistant like. Drove. He got eligible that morning, and an assistant. Yeah, it was Ross Condon. Yeah, Ross, Ross Condon, Condon drove him to uh drove him from State College, Pennsylvania, to Columbus, Ohio, to participate in that game. So, I mean, this is kind of an aside from what we're talking about, but the fact, like, what I'm assuming they had to really jump through some hoops to get him eligible, and then Reeves comes around the corner and starts diamond at the program. Like, it's kind of. I mean, I don't say I blame him because I mean, whatever, but. And, and was of, Ross Condon's driver's license valid? There's a lot of questions about that whole yeah. scenario. <laughs> God, that uh, now now that I'm looking, I'm looking at the uh, the all-time commits in program history, and it is very funny to remember uh, one just how bleak it all is. Uh, and Hang on, are you are you starting to remember some guys? Uh, <laughs> well, one, two, three, and five all played on that exact team. And, like, for all you could say about the Chambers era, and, like, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of not good stuff about the Pat Chambers era just in terms of the quality of basketball. Like, Tom Crean once voted him Big Ten Coach of the Year because his team played hard in a year they went 10-21. and 21. So j- just very dumb stuff that perpetually surrounded the program. But that year was the year where I, we kind of saw the vision. And like you mentioned that, that year was the most fun that we have had as Penn state basketball fans. And it's just really unfortunate that we have to look back on that and go, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to see how things are going to get any better than, uh, 
nine wins in Big Ten play and winning the NIT anytime soon. Uh, it, are there any final, like, we can do this all night, just final moments we would like to mention before uh, we get back to reality where things are far more bleak? On a personal level, I would say the um, the last game that I went to as an undergrad was the uh, upset of Michigan, the year that Michigan went to the uh, championship game, which I, at the time Penn State was 0-14 in the Big Ten, and uh, I believe was uh, it, I believe it was mostly led by uh, Jermaine Marshall, and uh, yeah, they they uh, pulled off that upset, had to storm the court. I lost a sneaker. It was a good night. I missed that game because I had a night class. I, it was the only time I'd ever had the opportunity to storm the court because the other times when I was an undergrad where they did storm the court were games that I was in press row for, so I couldn't participate. So that was a, it was a nice cap because I had I had missed a couple of them. I was there for those court storms. They were pretty sad court storming, so I got to say the, that one, yeah. The, the Michigan one was good. The Michigan one before was that, good yeah, it was no, that, out that was of a good nowhere. One. The Michigan one was truly out. Of, they were number four in the country at the time. They they had. They did Burke end up winning National Player of the Year that year? Neither here nor there. Who cares? But you mean for, definitely for first team All American, former Penn State commit Trey Burke? Yeah, man. Yeah, like he, uh, God, that that game was so good. Wasn't uh, if, if memory serves, Nick Colella went to the free throw line to seal it at the very end, and I thought uh, it was Sasa, Sasha. It, no, no, Sasa. But, okay, yeah. but it was Colella was. Maybe the final minute, Coelho also got there. But yeah, just uh... that was that was the fun. Uh, the funniest part of that season was that Barovniak at the end of the year actually started looking pretty good, and then he did not come back for his final season. <laughs> and now he's also, the- also in the Penn State tradition. Now, and now yeah. he's one of the best players in Portugal or something. <laughs> no, he was he was like Portugal's Kevin Durant in that he won the league MVP and then joined the best team of the week the year after. Just very uh, God. What's uh? What, what, Shout what, out, Serb. For uh, forever and always. Let's uh, get back to the worse stuff uh, to talk about Penn State basketball, which is talking about the next year, because we like we do not know what's going to end up happening. Obviously, we can probably say uh, that no matter what Jim Ferry is going to try to do, this has the potential to be a really, really rough year for Penn State basketball. It's going to coincide with a coaching search that is coinciding with a gigantic global pandemic. There is just... Chad, we'll start with you. It just feels like this next year of Penn State basketball is going to be really, really, really hard to watch for anyone who has a vested interest in the program. I don't know what the hell to expect. Um, I'm assuming because it's so close to the season and it's, you know, these players are getting a free year of eligibility that they'll mostly all stick around if, you know, health permitting, uh, permitting and everything like that. Um, hopefully everybody's healthy, obviously first, but um, yeah, I assume they'll stick around, but I, you know, it's hard to really get excited about it when you know Everybody, literally everybody can leave and not, you know, lose any eligibility. And, and, you know, it's nice that they had the freedom to leave. I I definitely don't begrudge that. But at the same time, you know, I I don't see a reason to really get all that excited for the season, especially. I mean, right now, I'd be surprised if there's even a lot of college games to begin with because it seems like COVID's picking up a lot more. And, uh, you know, if say there is a season I, I don't see how this team really comes together after this kind of thing and and does anything of note other than win a couple games here and there i mean there's still some talent on the roster we got myron jones back um really only lost lamar from last year's team um but again i, I just don't see any reason to get all that excited for this for yeah this campaign uh eric kind of the same thing to you like even if we're going getting away from the context to whatever extent we can of the circumstances under which this season is going to be played both for Penn State specifically uh, with Pat leaving with everything that's uh, Chad just mentioned all that and the fact that there's a gigantic global pandemic going on right now uh, it, it's just so hard to see 
to get too much juice for this season because it it just feels like this is a program wandering in the wilderness. I mean, I was already kind of like whatever about this season because of COVID, to be honest. Like, this is going to be just a complete shit show. So as far as cancellations and whatnot. Um, so I don't really know what to expect. And, and really, it's all going to come down to the players and where their heads are at. Um, the one thing Chambers did do before he left, I mean, the culture in the program has definitely been seemingly good. I mean, obviously, we had the whole Bolton thing, but um, – you know, through the Midnight Domino podcast and hearing Myron Jones and John Hare interview everyone on the team, um, these guys definitely like each other, definitely want to play with each other. Um, and now that they're kind of still processing their own emotions from this kind of blindsiding, like, removal of their head coach, um, kind of how how much effort they want to put in the season is really going to make or break the season. Now, um, coming into this year, even if Chambers was the coach, definitely a lot of questions. I think they deserve to be picked like in the bottom four or five of the league just because of who's bringing back what. You know, Illinois is coming back, looking good. Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State. There's some really, really good teams in the Big Ten bringing back a lot from last year when last year was a historically dominant year for the Big Ten as well. Um, so even with Chambers, this year had a lot of questions. Without Chambers, it's still the same questions. I mean, there's talent there. But the offense obviously is going to have a new look without Lamar Stevens sucking up like a third of the possessions. Um, so whoever the coach is, you know, now it's very going to have to figure out that offense. But um, there is experience, there is talent, there's depth, um, you know, and these guys like playing with each other and they kind of have a chip on their shoulder and they kind of like really adapted the, uh, the mantra of just the unfinished business, having their season canceled last year and not being able to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, so we'll see what they make of this year, but as far as the future of the program, um, who the heck knows? I mean, like, I don't expect them to hire a coach here until after the season. There's really nobody for them to hire right now, but then again, who who, is it really going to be an attractive job in the spring? I don't know. I mean, they're not going to pay a lot. They're losing the financial hit from COVID. Um, so we all know they're going to cheap out the hire. So who knows? So as far as from the player's perspective, you know, the other thing, too, is like that one time exception, the transfer exception that's coming down next year. Um, I can see a lot of them just, you know what, we're going to make the best of this year because why leave and sit out a year? Um, and they all like each other. They might just stay in Penn State for this year. But as of August 1st, if this proposal goes through next year in the summer, they all can transfer wherever they want and not have to sit out. And they are they all are already getting an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Um there's a pretty good chance the program's pretty decimated uh, in April or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Who cares about the season? <laughs> yeah, I, you, I'm glad you mentioned the coaching search uh, because on one hand there are only so many uh, Power Five coaching jobs, and you would think that a normal program uh, would be able to land someone, but uh, no. Uh, Coop, you are uh, you're interested in this and i know you've we were talking a little bit on the podcast before this about how this really is the first time that penn state's ever been in a position where it actually has actually can have a proper uh basketball coaching search can you dive into that a little bit i don't know if it's like i mean it's a covid year so the financials are already going to be even more restricted than they already would be it's going to be like that at other schools too. So with buyouts, there's not going to be as many candidates get, there's not going to be other, this is projecting. And just from the people I work with who know about the coaching search industry way more than I do, they're not projecting as many, this is in football and in basketball with the way, you know, athletic department budgets are right now. You can't just be going and paying these ridiculous buyouts when there's no money. There hasn't been as, as much money flowing in. So that already kind of like, unless you're going to get a sitting head coach from somewhere else, and like we already said, Penn State isn't the most attractive job unless they're going to like pluck somebody from a lower level, which is what I would imagine they would do, or like an assistant from a lower level. But to go back to what you were asking me is, you know, over the course of the history of this program, like dating back, what, 30 whatever years? So there was... I think I did this last last time we had this. I was on this podcast two years ago, but it was 
Bruce Parkhill, he was there for however many years. He resigns abruptly at like a weird time, kind of around this time, actually. So they promote the assistant, Jerry Dunn. And then after a while, that fades out. And then they fire, the, or they, they fire him. Tim Curley blatantly did not give a shit about the basketball program. So they go, oh, let's bring that Ed DeCellis guy back. He was on Bruce Parkhill's staff for a million years. Bring him in. And then he, like we talked about before, resigns out of nowhere late in the process. So what, what was it, like two, three months after the season ended? Like it was in the summer. So not during the normal coaching search window where all the coaching carousel things happen. So then they have to scramble. There's a limited pool. They go get Chambers, which, you know, worked out to an extent. I mean, he obviously he raised the floor of the program, which was, you know, extremely low. And now, you know, they're in this spot where at least in a sense, they kind of get they almost get I guess they get a head start where they have. You know, six months or however many months this is going to be, however long this season lasts, you know, the next four or five months, whatever it is, into March, I guess, kind of working the back channels. I'm this is me guessing, but Sandy Barber seems like the uh, the search firm type. So, I mean, if they're going to devote money to that, there's going to be a search firm working behind the scenes. So it's just, I don't know, it's an interesting spot. They've never been in a position where like on the normal kind of like coaching search, you know, the coaching carousel that happens every year, they've never been in a position with their own job to kind of be in the mix. So, I mean, we, we have no idea what kind of people would be interested in the job. I would assume, you know, this is just kind of pointing out the obvious, but people with local, you know, Northeast Philly ties, AAU ties, kind of like a young up and comer, like, that's just like what people would assume, but then you you don't know what's going to be available, who's going to be attracted to the job. So, you know, like we've been saying, it's a shit show. And, and Dan, I, I'm clear the way for you. Now, uh, for everyone who would like some behind the scenes uh, on how this podcast works, uh, one, we kind of just don't care and do it as it goes. But Dan said he wanted to go last specifically. Uh, Dan, the floor is yours. Thank you, Bill. The following list is of potential candidates for the Penn State men's basketball head coaching job. <laughs> Quentin Chimney. Vance Autumn. Manny Speakerphone. Chris Dollar. Terrence Zirtek. Chrysanthemum Wallach. Ted Valentine. Vital Wong. Braxton Gemini. Norris Cheat Code. Boxer McNulty, <laughs> Tony Amplifier, Rick Minibar, Coffee McAllister, Tim Bristol, Johnny Kingsport, Eric Winston-Salem, Scott Manchester-by-the-Sea, Wilson Nocturne, Pablum Paul, Dunk Tank Jones, Deck Mason, Morty TikTok, Cal Clutterbuck, Trip Dustbag, <laughs> Nolan Pacemaker, Hoop Tremblyman, Miles Chamley Watson, <laughs> Crystal Fornicate, Clever Dinwiddie, Sister Mary Stackhouse, <laughs> Night Watch Hawk Moon, Yankee Can Opener, Milton Ascot, David Verdansk, Mac Truck Harvey, Paul St. Brett, Dan Dickout, Senator Sachs Chambliss, Eagle Wheel, Jeffrey Plea Bargain, Knox Flood, Courtney Chair Thief, People's Wanton, Raymond Suddenly, Crash Winston, Noble Farmland, and Bradford Persuasion. Oh, God. I thought for sure we were going to get a Tony Bobulinski in there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't know who that is. Is that the coach of Siena? Uh, oh, God. Uh, listen, if anyone is still listening uh, on minute 49 of the uh, week uh, too late Penn State basketball podcast, um, thank you. We're sorry, and we hope you enjoyed Dan's bit as much as we did. Um, Can someone explain the bit to me? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Do you want to jump in, Ponch Gigabyte? <laughs> Just 
Google Bob Duca on YouTube. You'll find a <laughs> clip of that. Oh, man. That's a really good bet. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I'm wiping tears off my eyes. I almost lost it when I said Miles Chamley Watson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was glad Saxby Champ was gotten there. That was uh, I, I, I'm I'm glad to see people are remembering the uh, the, the assistant at the Vanderbilt. I think Chambliss. <laughs> Doing some good stuff down there with Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> yes, that's a uh, that, that that that's correct. Um, so. I don't know how it can go more off the rails than that. Um, is there any any final bits of ground that you guys would like to touch on? Would you? I, I mean, do do you how guys? How many how many games does Jim Ferry need to win to get the job? Two. Considering yeah, a COVID shortened season, there's not even a schedule. So how yeah, much? Yeah, I think if he gets to 500, I think he, they'll probably keep him on. Well, it, it's my guess I is think, I don't think they will. I really don't think they will. Sandy Barber hasn't made a single like high profile hire her whole time at Penn State. Like she wants to put her stamp or whatever. Like, uh, but she doesn't view Penn State as the, uh, basketball as a stamp. She views the facilities thing as the stamp, which and well, that's not she doesn't want to put money into basketball. That's not going too well, is it? So she's got to. Well, the, the nobody's one, judging her on basketball. Nobody cares. Yeah, the, yeah I mean, he's going to be the upgrade to Beaver Stadium, and I think that she wants to cheap out on Penn State as much as possible so that she can continue funding that. So, the, I mean, the thing with Pat is he was the perfect coach for what you basically just said, Dan, because he made um, the he was the most poorly compensated coach in the entire Big Ten, and. Despite that, he seemed like he really wanted to be here and really wanted to build something. And the reason that, you know, I do disagree with Coop is that one, Jim Ferry just seemed like he seems like a guy who would like to keep this job uh, for a while. I mean, his head coaching experience is that is the nicest way to say that this guy isn't a very good coach. Correct. Uh, Plymouth State and then Adelphi and then he was at Long Island for a while and then he was at Duquesne. And now he's all of a sudden a Big Ten basketball coach at, at, at the saddest Big Ten school. But there is still like some amount of clout that comes with that. I, I But ultimately, it seems like it might come down to how much will the guys on this roster – respond to him and play really hard with him as the coach. And that's something that I believe was Eric mentioned uh, about the uh, Midnight Domino podcast. It seems like this is a team of guys that really care about one another and really are in it for one another. And if they go out there and play really hard, and even if they're not the best team, but they're certainly a team that seems like they're responding to um, you know, gestures vaguely at everything. I think it suddenly becomes really easy to justify keeping Jim Ferry around, especially if he's not going to be going out there and saying, you need to pay me seven figures a year. I don't think, I don't think they're going to, I would be, I'll, I would be very surprised if they kept him. I think, I, I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if they let him go. I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything this at this point that isn't that, Basically, as long as it's not impressive, I'll, it'll meet my expectations. And he's one of you know a couple of options with that. I mean, well, as made one point one million in his career, like that was his final yearly salary. Do you think she's going to top that after a pandemic for any coach? I don't. I don't think so. No, but as much as we talk about you know what this program is, there's still there's still some like young assistant coach out there that would be like. Yeah, I want to go be a Big Ten head coach. Some idiot. Right. Yeah, someone who doesn't know any better, <laughs> who should ask around before dipping your toe too deep in that water. But, you know, I I think – I don't know. I really think we don't know what the candidate pool is going to be. It's going to be weird. But they have – whatever. What did I say? Five months to get a head start. So figure this shit out. Like, what else, what else do they do all day in that building? Hey, do you want to come to a program with no history whatsoever, no recruits for next season, no facilities, and an athletic department that uh, interest is lukewarm at best? I mean, you got to re-recruit every single player on the roster. I, I mean that all, all of that makes it sound to they me. They got chambers to do it. I, I'm just going to say this: all of that makes it sound to me uh, like this is a very bad job. I, I don't know if you guys agree with that. 
I just I just see her punting on yeah, this. I, I have, I'm pulling my name out of consideration. I don't want to get into the <laughs> clusterfuck. Uh, all right. It's either uh, going to be Ferry, a coach from the A10, or just some unknown assistant. I don't really, I don't see any other. Just promote Taylor action. Battle. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> Battle the Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. We 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 yeah. forgot to mention the fact that uh, perhaps the they best player Battle they screwed up during this internal battle. investigation. We're just going to let the program's all-time leading scorer uproot his family and move to State College for a new job, and then, oh, we're just going to fire his boss. Yeah, maybe like, more what? than any part of this, that shows how little she cares about Penn State basketball is, like, slapping in the face of the the only, like, true, like, star that the program's ever had. Astounding. Should we name some more guys? I kind of want to do that. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let, let's end this podcast uh, by participating in everyone's favorite game. Remember some guys, Penn State Basketball Edition. I will begin uh, by throwing uh, John Graham out there. Uh, the floor is Oof. open. Brandon Taylor. Alan Wisniewski. Kosa Mataway Boonham. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep cut. Isaiah Washington. <laughs> this game sucks. Yo, we should be going over. Honestly, we should be we should be recapping like the worst moments of the Chambers era on the court. Like, Yo, what, what's you? Yeah, he already mentioned the Devin Foster like air ball. Um, for me, every my my worst my worst eyewitness like in person game was definitely at Duquesne like 2016. They lost by th- 26 or 28. They were getting blown out the whole game, and in the second half. That Jordan Dickerson dunk. drop step slam dunk off the back iron that went all the way back out the half court was easily the most humiliated I've ever felt as a fan at any sporting event. Uh, I, I, was, I, I was at uh, – oh, God, let me – I'm on Kevin. I was at the uh, game against Bucknell in 2013 where they lost 90 to 80, which we can all go through the list of unfortunate Penn State basketball moments. But the thing, reason that one sticks out uh, is one, Bucknell was hitting on like 50% of their threes at halftime. And I vividly remember seeing a friend on the concourse and saying to them, there's no way they can keep shooting like that. And <laughs> they did. Uh, and then two was that was Geno Thorpe's second game in a Penn State uniform. And I was standing courtside and I screamed over to Geno, like after a timeout, I screamed Geno and I pointed to the, he looked at me, I pointed to the guy guarding him and I said, he can't guard you. And Geno ended that game uh, two for three with four points and two missed free throws. Very good. I, 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 I would throw in the the very much hyped opening game after they got Carr and Stevens where they lost to Albany at home. <laughs> the Ryder Ryder game, that, that was how they, they stepped foot in the door. For the next year, Ryder game. Yeah. What? So uh, I'm, I'm looking. I thought Bill would have said Sienna. That's what yeah, I was going to say. I was going to yeah. say that. God damn it. I had blocked that. I from can't my... believe you didn't mention your Sienna trip, man. So yeah. D- yeah, so I mean, I don't know if I've told the Sienna story on this podcast, but like now that I now that I'm no longer a person searching for a job and I uh the Pat Chambers tenure is over. Uh here's what happened. Uh so me and a collection of friends um decided that you know, 2014, this is our last year. We, we went to the Big Ten tournament uh, where they lost to Minnesota in the first game. And then two days later, I threw my back out for the first time, which was very fun. Uh, we then decided we were going to go to the CBI. Uh, every CBI game that Penn State played, we went to their first game, uh, which I don't know if you guys remember. That was against Hampton, which went 18 and 12 on the year and was number 219 in Ken Palm. Uh, and they had... Uh, they won that game 69 to 65 in what was just an absolutely wretched game. The Siena bench though was the funniest group of individuals who have ever existed because they just made fun of us for being Penn state basketball fans the entire time. Uh, and then we went to the Siena game where we went on a bus that was paid for by Penn state basketball boosters. And we were all happy. We were all excited. Siena was 168 in Ken Palm. Uh, and then they lost that game. And then everyone on the bus, which was basically just a bunch of old people and like dads with their sons and then 20 students, 
went to sleep. So me and another friend just drank a handle of fireball and I had to hug a garbage can for the entirety of the ride home. So, uh, I woke up the next morning. I didn't feel particularly good. I had one class at six thirty PM and I decided I wasn't going to it at that moment. Penn state's best player in that game was, uh, Tim Frazier and he shot one for five from the field. Yeah. I have the box score pulled up. It's tremendous. <laughs> it, it It's really bad. <laughs> 17 of 57 from the field, 29.8%. I mean, this I just remember awesome. Flip Johnson's 20, breakaway. Wait, wait, wait. They had more fouls than free than field goals made. <laughs> Eight personal fouls, 17 field goals made. I remember that being one of the few games I turned off early in Chambers era. Well, I, here's I, the I'm with I was us. In Vegas watching that game by myself. Here's the thing, guys. I couldn't turn that game off early. And also, Sienna fans are the... So I have been to Columbus, Ohio. I've been, again, to the Big Ten tournament on multiple occasions supporting Penn State basketball. Sienna fans are the meanest fans that I have met in my entire life. I got more Sandusky stuff from Sienna basketball fans than I have from any other fan base in college basketball. Um I remember I, being particularly bad from Duquesne the one year, like right after. But God, oh yeah. What's like the saddest place you've ever watched a Penn State basketball game? The Bryce Jordan Center. Oh, the Bryce, Bryce Jordan, Jordan Center. <laughs> <laughs> What's the second saddest place? I was going to say, I specifically remember for some reason, I think it was my senior year. I'm downstairs. I'm at, what bar am I at? Was this the year that... Uh, Saloon? No. no, was this when um, uh, you and me and um, Chad watched the Nebraska game at uh, the pizza place downtown that has since shut down? No, this is I don't, whatever. I've, I haven't been to State College in so long that I can't remember one of the most prominent bars. But anyway, I was like with my friends and I'm just off in the side. And this is where they played. I think this was Nebraska's first year in the Big Ten. And I'm off to the side. And it was a game where I think Alan Wisniewski was like second in scoring. Yeah, that was a Nebraska game. Yeah, it was at Nebraska. Let me see if I can pull this up. This is like so preposterous. Uh, no, that's that's the wrong Nebraska game. God damn. Uh, they lost sixty-seven to fifty-three. Uh, Alan Wisniewski uh, had six points. Was two? Oh wait, no, maybe this is a different one. But six points, two for three from the field, and two for seven from the free throw line. Yeah, that, that's the one because it was like his career high, and he had like, <laughs> and he missed five. <laughs> he was like the second. He was like one of the best players on the court for them. Oh god, Alan Wisniewski, if you are listening to this podcast, please DM us. I just want to know how you're doing. Um, I recall going to the the rack for the. Oh. I believe it was Shep Garner, Brandon Taylor led uh, Penn State team, and yeah, was, they won that game. It was actually a, those were the a fun time. years. Yeah, that was bad. But it's a pretty shitty arena, and I don't want to go back there ever again. It's not very nice. No. Uh, oh, wait. I, f- I forgot. I was f- the first person standing online for Return to Wreck. I think that's the... Uh, oh, <laughs> the Princeton one. Yeah. I, I think that's the... that I, I think that wins for the saddest place anyone has watched. Where, where, did any of you guys... That to- wasn't a place thing, though. That was, yeah, that was, yeah, a, yeah. That was a game thing. That yeah. goes back to the low moments discussion. No, just that Sienna game that Bill was at. I, I watched that game in a Vegas sports book by myself at, like, three in the afternoon on a random like weekday because I was just out there in Vegas for the week. This is before sports betting was like legal everywhere. Um, so just the, the fact that I could actually go to a sports book and bet on it was fun. I bet on the Penn State game. Obviously <laughs> I bet them to win, which was obviously idiotic. <laughs> so I'm like at this Insult like, to injury. I'm Jesus. at this bar right next to the sports book. No one's there. No one's paying attention. I'm pretty sure there was like a NFL game on or something too. But either way, I had to like ask for the TV, and yeah, it was that was definitely the most depressing. That's part embarrassing. Yeah, that's that's like, probably yeah. the second worst for me was was when I saw them lose uh, in, at Boardwalk Hall to NC State because that's not a you know that they haven't renovated that for anything in about fifty years, so it's you know it looks like you're in the nineteen seventies you know uh, arena was and uh, and they lost. So, yeah, that was the big one. God. All right, so yeah, it was a Monday night. So Monday night, seven o'clock Eastern Coast, but it's four o'clock out west or, what, or four or five o'clock out west, and I'm just at the sports book 
by myself because I forget. I was like with my girlfriend and her family at the time. They were all out gambling or something. I didn't give a shit about the Penn State game. So I'm just sitting there watching it by myself and then everyone else is watching Monday Night Football <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> hey, man, can you put the CBI on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the football because it was the football season. I'm trying to remember what else was on. It was something. It might, might have been the NBA. But yeah, winter, it was yeah. a Monday afternoon. So going, can you turn the CBI on <laughs> instead of Judge Judy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, do you guys ever think, man, if only I went to a program that um, wasn't this, went to a school with Every a basketball day. program that wasn't this sad? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of part of the charm, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah honestly, I'm sorry you guys didn't like get to experience any of the court storming like they did under Ed Chalice. Like, I mean, you guys are all talking about how you never got to go on the court. I, I was, I made my legend off of storming the court <laughs> at Penn State. Yeah. No, I, yes, I was there for one of those games. I forget which one. Came up from Altoona, man. It was, that it was, was where that was where the curse program thing originally started. It was when they said, "Hey, a ghost just tackled Taylor Battle." <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So yeah, any uh, any anything else before uh, we hang up and you know put this one out into the universe, fellas? I don't even care if they cancel sports. That's wild. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you are uh, following, subscribing uh, to the podcast on any podcasting platform that is out there. If you go into Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. And if you just listened to an hour-long, six-minute Penn State basketball podcast, God bless you. Uh, you. You are the one who deserves the five-star review here. Please keep reading and supporting the site, following us on all our various social media channels, and purchasing uh, our T-shirts, hoodies, whatever else we have. We have a new hoodie out there that you should purchase. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Sam Cooper, for Dan Smith, for Chad Markulix, for Eric Gibson, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. <laughs>